Coming up on this episode, an injury scare for a young warrior forward. Jordan Poole makes his Washington Wizards debut after the offseason trade. And how the value and impact of Stephen Curry varies between NBA general managers and the media. Yes, welcome back to the Golden State with Mates podcast on what is a beautiful Wednesday for me here in Australia. While America are preparing to enter into winter, Australia here, we're preparing to head into summer. So best time of the year, perfect weather. I'm going to go play some tennis after this. Just nice to get out and about. But let's get started with some Warrior news. Of course, Golden State played on Saturday, an impressive performance against the Los Angeles Lakers. Go and check out my live post-game recap of that one. If you haven't already, it's on the podcast feed and on the YouTube channel. But uh, a little bit of news since then. A little bit of an injury scare through the Warrior camp uh, today or Tuesday at practice with uh, Jonathan Kaminga was reported he was at practice with a heavily bandaged right hand slash thumb. I know NBC Sports Bay Area's Monty Poole reported that. I think a couple other uh, journalists did as well. But uh, certainly put a bit of a scare through Golden State fans. Of course, JK was probably the biggest highlight from Saturday's performance against the Lakers with his 24 points, 8 rebounds, 4 assists, couple of blocks, dynamic uh, two-way display from Jonathan Kaminga, which hopefully signifies the leap that he's about to make in his third year. Fortunately, though, Steve Kerr poured a little bit of cold water on any major injury issues surrounding Jonathan Kaminga and also Chris Paul as well, who missed practice entirely on Tuesday. Uh, Steve Kerr said after uh, practice, he said he, as in Kaminga, missed the contact part of practice today. He jammed his thumb. Chris Paul also sat out. We had a tough back-to-back two days of scrimmaging. We went pretty hard, so it was more precautionary than anything. Then he went on to say that I don't think J.K. or Chris will be limited in any way going forward. So it sounds like Jonathan Kaminga and Chris Paul will play in the Warriors' second preseason game on Friday, also against the Lakers this time in Los Angeles at Crypto.com Arena. That starts a four-game in seven-day span for the Warriors with another two matchups against the Sacramento Kings and then concluding with a game against the San Antonio Spurs before the preseason, uh, sorry, before the regular season opener against the Phoenix Suns on October 24th. So positive news there out of something could have, that could have been really disappointing because we know that Jonathan Kaminga has had a strong off-season, a strong training camp to date, uh, and we don't want any injuries, but let alone to someone of the talent of Jonathan Kaminga who's ready to take a major leap here going forward. Earlier on, I watched Jordan Poole's debut with the Washington Wizards playing against uh, Cairns Taipans of the NBL, so a team that I'm somewhat familiar with, uh, given they're an Australian team. Uh, I do follow the NBA a lot more than the NBL, it must be said. My my team in the NBL, the Tasmania Jack Jumpers, play about three kilometres down the road from where I am right now, and I've flat out never been to a game. And this is their so this is now their third season in the league. I've been meaning to get to a game. I'm literally three kilometers up the road. Never been to one. More than happy to travel halfway halfway around the world to go watch the Warriors play in San Francisco. But uh, as for my own local team, not quite. Even though they're only three kilometers away, but it's something I have to get uh, round to. But I tell you, watching. I mean, a lot of people here in Australia prefer watching the NBL over the NBA. 
But for me, going from one to the other, it's just a stark uh, contrast in quality. And we saw that today with the Washington Wizards beating uh, the Cairns Taipans by over 50 points, an absolute dominant display. They started the game on a 13-0 run. And Jordan Poole was a heavy part of that. Before I kind of get into his performance, I do want to say my my whole discussion here around Jordan Poole, I don't want this to be an ongoing commentary or debate about the you know Jordan Poole-Chris Paul trade, right? I don't want to be coming here every single episode and, you know, evaluating both those players' performance and, you know, going between, you know, oh, was it a win for the Warriors? Was it a win for the Wizards? I don't want to do that. The reason I'm speaking about Jordan Poole is because I think genuinely Warrior fans and me, like we want to, you know, see how JP goes. And I think it's important to analyse his performances and I think it's um, fascinating for Golden State fans, uh, even though he's now departed the franchise. So I just think it's interesting. I'm not, I don't in any way want to just, put this into a constant contrast between Jordan Poole and Chris Paul and, you know, an ongoing debate of, you know, how that trade is playing out. Because for me, personally, I think it's a win-win trade for both teams, right? Like, I think Golden State, they wanted to do two things. They wanted to increase their chances of winning a championship in the short term this season, and they wanted a bit more financial flexibility moving forward. I think that they are going to, well, they've obviously achieve the financial flexibility, first and foremost. Secondly, I think they will be a better team with Chris Paul over Jordan Poole, and that is because Chris Paul can run a second unit. And we saw a bit of that today with with Jordan Poole. I'll get into that in a second. But I think the Warriors will be happy with their part of the deal. And I think for Washington, moving into a rebuilding stage, I think they're going to be very happy with getting a player of the talent of Jordan Poole, who's already got experience in the playoffs, he's a you know NBA championship winner, um, played a big part in that season and that playoff run for the Warriors. And regard, you know, depending on how you value him as a player and how you evaluate him, has all star potential, I guess, at the at the high side of where he may get to in his career. And so, you know, for a rebuilding young team like the Wizards to get a player of that caliber for a thirty eight year old Chris Paul they would be very happy with the trade as well. So I think this will genuinely turn into a win-win for both teams, which is not often you can say that. I think the most recent one for me would probably be the DeMarcus Sabonis, Tyrese Halliburton trade, where both teams would probably look at that and be really happy with what they got. The Pacers got a franchise cornerstone in Halliburton, and the Kings got an all-star big man who you know is able to have a really dynamic pick and roll with De'Aaron Fox, and obviously moving Halliburton out has been able to give Fox the keys and and being able to allow him to flourish uh, as a point guard without Halliburton there. So I think that's probably the most recent big win-win trade that I can think of involving two pretty high-caliber players. But I think this Jordan Poole, Chris Paul one could be the same. But on Poole's performance today, it started off like a house on fire. Uh, it was absolutely fantastic. Um, knocked down his first uh, left uh, left-hand corner triple off a catch-and-shoot from a Tyus Jones assist. Uh, made another one a couple of minutes later. Had a couple of nice drives to the rim. Again, the the opposition here, I mean, wasn't offering anything really in terms of defensive resistance. That has to be said. Uh, you know, the Wizards put up over 140 points. But, you know, JP had 10 points in the first seven minutes. You know, looked like his dynamic scoring self. He probably got a little bit worse as the game went on. So he finished with 18 points. One rebound and two assists. Shot six for 13 from the floor, four for eight from three-point range. 
had a few moments where you know there's some shot selection questioning that you could do, which I think is just part and parcel of his game, and I think it's um, something that he's going to be given more freedom to do in Washington, given they're not necessarily chasing a championship or even the playoffs to an extent. So I think he's going to be allowed to kind of take some ill-advised shots, particularly if he starts to heat up and he's made a couple. That's fine. I think that's going to be a little bit different to it, the Warriors. And I know Andre Iguodala said on a recent podcast, he said that part of JP's issues, I suppose, um, he didn't say issues, but I mean, let's let's call it issues with Steve Kerr and the coaching staff was some of the, the freedoms that he wasn't allowed in comparison to Stephen Curry and Clay Thompson, which you can see both sides of the debate, right? Like, you know, from a Warriors perspective, in terms of Steve Kerr and the coaching staff, they would say, hey, Steph Curry and Clay Thompson have solidified themselves as top five shooters in the history of the game. They have got the greenest of green lights that any player's ever had in NBA history because they've got themselves to that position, right? And so they are allowed to do certain things on a floor, take certain shots that other players would, you know, get pulled off the floor for very quickly. Now, from Jordan Poole's perspective, he could easily reply that and say, well, I cannot become the kind of, you know, top shooter, not a top shooter in NBA history. I don't think Jordan Poole's ever going to get to that point. But Jordan Poole say, I can't get to being one of the best shooters in the league, which I think I'm capable of without having a little bit of freedom with the kind of shots I can take, right? And that's the one thing, you know, one of the things about Jordan Poole is he's a tough shot taker and he's a tough shot maker at times. And when he makes them, it's great. When he doesn't, it can be a bit frustrating. It's a bit like Clay. I spoke about it uh, a little bit on the live recap, right? On Saturday, Clay took some tough shots, um, took seven threes in his 12 minutes on the floor, missed, you know, he made two of seven kind of thing. You get a little bit, of, bit frustrated with Clay. Um, that's just part and parcel of his game, and it's a little bit the same with Jordan Poole as well. He also had an equal high three turnovers, three turnovers, which is a little bit concerning when he wasn't the primary point guard. Again, maybe it's being overly critical, I suppose, um, for preseason basketball. I actually like the fact like they're starting JP at the two, Tyus Jones at the one, putting an excellent facilitating playmaking point guard next to him. Probably 12 months ago, heading into last season, I was under the impression that Jordan Poole was about to become a point guard or, you know, at least capable of being a, a point guard and a potentially a starting caliber point guard. Now, obviously on the Warriors, going back 12 months, he was given the opportunity to run the second unit behind Steph Curry. In reflection, that wasn't a good idea. And he just, you put the ball in his hands too much, then you're just opening yourself up um, for issues to come in terms of poor shot selection and uh, and turnovers and just the out of control style that Jordan Poole can have at times. Again, it can sometimes it can be when it's on, it can be really dynamic and it can be a great offensive player. When it's not, it can be a big detriment to the team. There's little doubt about that. And I think I've come to realize, I think the Warriors came to realize that Jordan Poole is a two guard, first or foremost, who is a nice secondary ball handler and playmaker. And that's probably as far as it goes. I'd be surprised if he ever transitioned into a starting point guard uh, in the NBA now moving forward, which is something I wouldn't have said like 12 months ago. You know, 12 months ago, I would have said, hey, this guy can be a starting point guard. He, he can be the Warriors starting point guard once Steph Curry retires. And that was probably the plan from a Golden State perspective. They gave him a four-year, $128 million contract. And unfortunately, it didn't pan out. They gave him the opportunity to run the second unit. 
the Warriors bench at the start of last season when Jordan Poole was running it alongside, you know, James Wiseman at the five and Jermichael Green, Dante DiVincenzo, you know, elements of Moses Moody and Jonathan Kaminga, it was poor, right? It was poor. It got to a point where the Warriors had to kind of mix and match Draymond Green's minutes. So they had Draymond Green also in the second unit alongside Poole to kind of provide a lot of that playmaking and get Poole back off the ball uh, and, you know, running around screens and stuff like that. So... Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see JP moving forward here, but I would say that he's more of a two guard. And I just like the fact that he's you know playing next to Tyus Jones, who will find him. You know, JP's first bucket today, catch and shoot corner three from a Tyus Jones assist in transition. You know, I think that's going to be the best thing for his game moving forward. So look, I'm I'm happy for him. I'm excited for him. Hopefully, he can you know, come out and be a, a you know 22 plus 23 plus point per game scorer. Uh, which I think he can easily do this season. I mean, he scored 18 today in 20 minutes. He averaged 20 points last season, you know, albeit inefficient at times, obviously, for the Warriors. But uh, he's certainly going to get the freedom in Washington that he didn't necessarily get in Golden State. Just a couple other things on the preseason so far, just quickly. Um, if you haven't already, check out the highlights or check out the full replay if you've got League Pass or whatever um, of the San Antonio Spurs-Oklahoma City Thunder game. Yesterday, uh, it was quite something between Chet Holmgren and Victor Wembanyama. These guys, from a Warrior perspective, these are two guys we're going to see regularly throughout the uh, the season, obviously both being Western Conference teams. Some of the stuff Wemby was doing on both ends, I mean, just his size and length, it just it is just ridiculous. It allows him to do things where he can get away with plays that, actually should be pretty poor like he had I think he had a block on Jalen Williams where he got beaten off the dribble and it looked like just a blow by and a finish at the rim for Jalen Williams and then Wemby's somehow got back into the play and blocked it um, as it was kind of going towards the cylinder it was ridiculous and then he had another one where he was kind of out on the perimeter Um, he was actually kind of um, off the ball a little bit and then uh, a player was driving kind of towards a lane, and then Wemby just reached out um, and got a, got a strip steal. And he was just his length in that scenario was like, how does he even get a hand on the ball there from where he is out on the perimeter? Unbelievable. He had another, I'm sure you've seen the highlights of the layup that he made kind of over Chet, where he was almost a little bit out of control, went into a kind of spin move, and then again, the length just to be able to kind of duck under and get a layup. Uh, over Chet was just, it's ridiculous. And Chet, to be honest, he was just as good. The Both of them were absolutely amazing uh, and quite an unbelievable battle, a battle that you know what, uh, fans are going to be salivating at for hopefully the next decade plus, you would think. Uh, and you know one for Warrior fans where you look at those two players and think they are going to give some serious trouble uh, moving forward, especially even this season. They're both rookies technically. Chet obviously missed the whole of last season through injury, and they are guys that are going to give Golden State some some headaches this season with the Warriors' lack of size. You're going to have, you know, Kevon Looney, 6'9", going against, you know, Chet, who's 7'7", seven, seven, Wemby, who's 7'4". It's just, it's going to be crazy. Now, yes, they're probably... Two win experience at this point to you know really impact winning in any major way, but they are going to be super exciting to watch, and very quickly they're going to be very very dangerous and can 
you know, will be able to lead their teams to win, particularly given the young talent that is also surrounding those two players at those regarding, uh, sorry, respective franchises. Um, a couple other things. Ben Simmons as well played on uh, Monday, American time, Monday night. Obviously, being an Australian, uh, Ben Simmons is Australian, by the way. For people that don't know, I remember I was at uh, Game 5 of the Western Conference Finals between the, uh, not Western Conference Finals, the first round of the playoffs in 2022 when the Warriors played the Nuggets, closed them out in that Game 5. I was sitting next to someone. He obviously um, heard that I was you know, Australian. I started talking. Um, yeah, my accent, obviously. And then we started talking about different stuff. He was asking about Andrew Bogut and whatever else. And then I mentioned the name Ben Simmons, and he was kind of confused as to why I was bringing up Ben Simmons. And uh, and I said, well, because Ben Simmons is Australian. And he was absolutely gobsmacked. And I've spoken to a few other people who just think Ben Simmons is American. He's not. He's never played for Australia in a World Cup or an Olympics at this point, uh, which is very disappointing. Hopefully that changes as of the Olympics next year. But uh, as an Australian, I've got a soft spot for Ben Simmons, and I know a lot of the NBA is completely given up on him, and maybe rightly so, but I'm never going to be a non-Ben Simmons believer. I am always going to stick on that hill and hope that he can turn things around. Um, I don't think he's ever going to produce a solid jump shot or anything like that. But I will say that I think the um, 12 to 14 minutes, I think he played 14 minutes yesterday for the Nets, the 14 minutes that he played yesterday were probably the best um, the best stint of offensive basketball from Ben Simmons I've seen in the last two years, really. Since the, what was it, the 2021-22, sorry, 2020-21 season with Philly when they got um, knocked out by the Atlanta Hawks, that was probably the best I've seen from Ben Simmons since that point. And so you you get a situation here where... He's uh, long odds for a lot of these, you know, most improved six man awards, whatnot. I'm not saying he's going to win anything like that, but I do think we could see a little bit of a bounce back here. And hopefully, again, from an Australian perspective, we do see that. Uh, another thing earlier today as well Dylan Brooks, new team, same old Dylan Brooks. We uh, can't really criticize him too much because I go back to that uh, semi final game between, sorry, not semi final game, the, the bronze medal game between the USA and Canada where he poured in 39 points, basically won the game for Canada alongside Shea Gilgis-Alexander, but he got ejected for contact with Daniel Tice's groin today, so with within five minutes, played four minutes and then got ejected. Quite comical in a preseason game. But uh, it'll be interesting when you know the Warriors face Dylan Brooks again. It might not quite be the same, given he's no longer a member of the Memphis Grizzlies, but there'll still be some angst there, I'm sure, and it makes you know for the Warrior-Rockets matchups to be you know a little bit of spice there and maybe a little bit more interesting than what we saw last season. Last thing before I wanted to finish today's episode, um, the general manager survey from NBA.com came out earlier. So basically every GM got asked 50 different questions ahead of the 2023-24 season. So I read through it. Obviously, it's, it's a good read. Um, there's obviously a lot of prominent names in there, 50 questions, a lot of you know different ones regarding coaches, um, veteran players, rookies, whatever it may be. I just thought it a little bit funny the way that general managers, I think, evaluate Stephen Curry as opposed to how the media evaluates Stephen Curry. And what I mean by that is I think the general managers actually have a far greater um, 
analysis of of Steph Curry, and I think they see him a lot more favorably than the media because you know us in the media, and I'm happy to include myself in that. We look at players, and we're very once you reach the apex, we're very quickly to move you on and look at the next youngest, brightest thing. So the biggest thing here with the the general manager survey was the fact that. Steph got 63% of the vote when it came to the best point guard in the NBA. Now, I can guarantee you, if you go and look at like all the other positional rankings that have been done by various media outlets this offseason, the majority, if not all of them, that I've seen anyway, which is quite a few, have Luka Doncic as the best point guard in the NBA. And yet GMs still categorically, like not even close, Steph had 63, Luka had 27, say that Steph is the best point guard in the NBA. And so I think that just kind of shows the difference between GMs and the media, if I'm being honest. And the uh, the GMs certainly give a much more favorable result to uh, to Steph Curry. And same can be said for for Draymond Green, because if you look at like the betting markets for Defensive Player of the Year, Draymond Green is not up there at all. And I think that's again because of the media narrative that comes out with Draymond Green, and you know a lot of the antics that also come with his on court play and whatever else. But, you know, he was voted, I think, the equal or tied for third in terms of best defensive player in the league. Uh, And I think he's maybe seventh or eighth in defensive player of the year betting markets kind of thing. So, again, that kind of just goes to show you the contrast between, you know, the way that GMs view Draymond Green and the way the media does as well. Uh, A couple other things, like Steph was really prominent in all of these questions. So he was the best point guard in the NBA, according to the general managers. He was the second best shooting guard behind Devin Booker. So Devin Booker, I think, also had 63%. Maybe Curry was second at 10%. Um, Just fascinating that some um, GMs view Steph as a shooting guard, which is fair enough. I think it's a a debate that's ongoing, especially when you look at, um, and I've talked a a little bit about it this offseason in regard to best point guard of all time, Magic Johnson or Steph Curry. Well, is Steph actually a point guard? That's part of the equation of it, I suppose. Um, obviously and unsurprisingly, uh, voted as the best pure shooter. I think he was over. I think he was at ninety percent. Surprised he wasn't at hundred, if I'm being honest. Uh, and he's also the best without best moving without the ball, uh, which again surprises he wasn't at hundred percent. That's pretty categoric. Um, the most interesting one for me was player that most like to take a shot with the game on the line. So Steph actually won that. So the general managers have said that. Steph Curry is the player they would most like to take the final shot with the game on the line. Steph has made uh, a lot of clutch shots in his career. There's no doubt about that. Um, He's also developed, I would say, an unfair reputation among rival fans as um, a, a choker as such, particularly, I suppose, you know, and this is not, you know, choking in clutch moments, I suppose, but... Um, going back to choking a 3-1 lead against the Cavs in 2016. And I suppose some of the offensive possessions late in Game 7 at Oracle Arena uh, in that series, they would go back to that. Now, that is a long time ago, and Steph's done fantastic and great stuff and plenty of clutch moments since then. So that's probably uh, a little bit pointless to go all the way back to that time. Um, So I, I don't agree that he's not a clutch player. Um, you know, you know, rival fans that have this you know reputation of him as a choker. I don't think that's true at all. I think he is a clutch player. But even me, 
I'm surprised that he was actually voted as the player that general managers would most like to take the final shot. I'm a little bit surprised by that. And I think even some Golden State fans should be surprised and would be surprised by that, even if at the same time we're completely disregarding the notion that he's a choker, which a lot of rival fans try and spin on social media, which is absolute BS. There's little doubt about that. Um, He was also voted the second-best leader behind LeBron, I mean, you could argue he's a better leader than LeBron, probably. Um, but, you know, it's probably much for muchness, um, if we're being honest. And another one, which is quite amazing, really. He also received a vote or votes. I'm not exactly sure. Uh, but it was at least a vote. Um, for players that you'd like to start, a fr- the, the player you would choose to start a franchise with right now. Steph Curry's entering year 15 at 35 years old, and there is at least one general manager out there, and I'm assuming it wouldn't be Mike Dunleavy Jr. I'm not sure if there's a rule around you can't be grown player. I don't know what, what the rule is around that. Um, but there is at least one general manager out there that believes that if they had to start a franchise today, a new franchise with zero players, that Steph Curry would be the first player they would choose. That is quite remarkable for a 35-year-old. That is astonishing. And I think that, out of any of these questions that were asked, the 50 questions, that might be the most extraordinary of them. The fact that a 35-year-old was given a vote for a player that you would start a franchise with today. And that just goes down to Stephen Curry's greatness. It goes down to the the whole of him as a basketball player, um, as a commercial product, I suppose, for, for a franchise. We know the, the value that... Um, Joe Lacob and Peter Goober as owners of the Golden State Warriors have got out of Stephen Curry from a franchise they bought for $450 million to one that's now um, estimated to be worth about $7 billion. Um, and also Curry just as a person, right? And again, goes back to the leadership that he has. Um, it's he's, he's special, right? He's special. And this, again, goes to showcase that. Uh, there's no doubt about it. Anyway, we'll finish it up on there. Um, probably might have another episode out before Saturday's game, uh, Saturday my time, Friday's game against the Los Angeles Lakers, obviously at Crypto.com Arena. Uh, and then looking forward, I probably won't do a recap, a, a post-game live of that one, um, just because I've got a couple of family things on. I will be watching the game, but I probably won't be able to do a, a post-game live of that. Uh, but obviously, as I said before, the Warriors have... Th- uh, four games within a seven-day span, and I'll probably be looking to do post-game lives for at least two of those final three games, if not three. So looking forward to that. Um, obviously, I'll post links and whatever else when before I do it, um, hoping people can you know jump in the chat and have their say on how the Warriors go in these preseason games. Uh, everything is ramping up towards a big regular season tip-off against the Suns on October 24. Uh, I know we're all looking forward to it. Uh, other than that, if you haven't subscribed to the YouTube channel, please do so. Uh, be greatly appreciated. Um, leave a comment down below if you've got uh, any thoughts on the Warriors at the moment or anything that I've talked about in this episode, Jordan Poole, or whatever else it may be, anything else that you've taken away from the preseason action so far. Uh, you follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and you can tweet me at POC252 on Twitter, slash X, whatever Elon's calling it these days. Other than that, guys, we'll see you in the next episode.